As I said earlier, we're going to launch into this study being the first day of the year, being the first Sunday of 2017. What is the church and why does it matter? Now, I realize we could and probably should in some ways define uh, what the church is and isn't from a theological viewpoint, from a biblical standpoint. Of course, the church is comprised of true believers. Uh, the church that Christ came to die for, to redeem. Uh, that's theologically accurate, and we could say so much more about that. But I want to focus our attention on the practicalities, the functionality of the church. And I want us, in a sense, to affirm our own philosophy of ministry about what the church is and does from a practical viewpoint. I think this would be a great launch in these five Sundays together about how we are to understand each other and how we are to understand how we can band together as the body of Christ in this local expression. And it seems to me, as I said earlier in our service, that when I, I spoke to a couple of our, our elders and we talked about the fact that the last Sunday of this month we're going to have uh, the annual meeting uh, it's a time, I think, to focus, to regrip, and because of the fact that just a couple of months ago we merged together with two churches becoming one, it seems to me that it's the right time and the right opportunity for, ask, for us to ask these practical, functional questions about what the church is and why it matters, so that we can look at 2017, and even with some of the changes and new ministries and, and the like, we want to be able to regrip on the truths that, that really make it clear to us who we are and why we exist and what we're doing. And so this morning I want to give you uh, five key ideas. And I want to break them up in, in this fashion. I want to give you, for instance, a key concept about why the church matters. Just in a very brief sentence. And then secondly, I want to give you a key word, even if you forget that sentence... And then I want to give you a key passage which allows us to understand what the church is and why the church matters, okay? And I'm going to do it this Sunday and next Lord's Day, Lord willing, and the one after that, and all five Sundays here in January, just continuing to answer the question, what is the church and why does it matter, functionally speaking, for us as believers in Jesus Christ at Bethany Church on the Hill. So let me give you the first one, all right? Number one, number one, why does the church matter? Uh, what is it and why does it matter? Number one, the church exists to glorify God, all right? It's not, not earth shattering. It's not new material. Uh, it's, it's not uh, sort of causing you to uh, be provoked in your thinking about some new way of talking about church, some new way of doing church. No, it's the old path, and we need to regrip on that path. And the number one idea is that the church exists to glorify God, to magnify God. That's the, that's the key concept, right? If you want to know what the church is at its heart, the church exists to glorify God, to magnify God. And I'm not talking about just individual believers doing that. Of course, individual believers need to do that. And not just, of, uh, of course, on, on Sundays, but through the week. Individual Christians need to do that. But as individual Christians come together, not just on the Lord's Day, 
But as they come together for all the ministries of the church, all of the various outreaches, all of the ways, all of the days of the week that we come together, whether it's a smaller group or a larger group, whether it's a Bible study or we're all coming together here in the worship center, what we are as a body, a body of believers in Jesus Christ, we are in existence. This is, this is the very reason we are what we are. We are a part of the created body of Christ in this local expression so that we can glorify and magnify God, okay? That's the key concept. If you want to look for one key word, it's the word doxology. Doxology. That's, of course, from that Greek word doxa, uh, which is the word uh, to glorify. And this is a key word. If you're thinking about what the church is and why the church matters, it's the concept of doxology. And if you'll look back at Ephesians, I'll show you a phenomenal opportunity to focus on our doxology. And here it is in chapter 3, verse 21. I I read to you chapter 3 for our scripture reading, a small portion of it from verses 7 to 12. And Paul goes on to say uh, from verses 13 all the way through verse 20 some marvelous things about the church. And here's how he ends this chapter. He says, to him, speaking of God the Father, to him be glory. That's our doxology. To him be glory in the church. So you want to take a, a verse. You want to take a phrase of a verse. And if you want to say in your own heart, in your own mind, or if you want to explain to an unbeliever why we gather together, why we exist, the answer is we exist to glorify God. This is our doxology. And explain to them what doxology means. It means to glorify God. It means to sing praises to Him. It means to magnify Him. That's what we're all about. This is our raison d'etre, that French word that means this is our reason to be. This is, this is who we are. This is why we exist. And I think, even though I'm not going to necessarily go in a priority order of one, two, three, and we'll get through as many as we possibly can. I do believe this is number one. I do think this should be number one in our list. That God is glorified in the church. Do you see verse 21 of Ephesians 3? To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The church exists to glorify God, to magnify God. This is what we're all about. This is why this particular book of Ephesians, this book about the church, says that we are to glorify God so many times. Look at chapter 1, verse 6. To the praise, the electing grace of God is to the praise of His glorious grace. That that adjective, glorious grace, means that we are to glorify God because of His electing purposes in our lives. Look at verse 12. So that we, we the church, in this case the Ephesian believers, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Our our reason for existence is to glorify God. This is is what we're all about. Look Look at verse 14. The Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, that is full possession in heaven, to the praise of His glory. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. He's the glorious Father. We ought to glorify Him. We ought to magnify Him. 
Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance. Glory, glory, glory. This is our doxology. Chapter 2, verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. That's something to glorify God for. This is, this is the glory of God that Paul is talking about. Chapter 3, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. The only reason your inner being is being strengthened is so that you can be strengthened to glorify God because of his glorious grace. Because of the opportunity to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is, this is our doxology. This is our reason to be. Number two, number two, the church exists to be a repository of divine truth. The church exists to be a repository or a deposit, a planting of something within something else. And the church, being that something else, is which and that which the truth is deposited. It's a repository of divine truth. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy 3.15. You remember there in 1 Timothy 3.15, we, we went through it a couple of weeks ago, and I, I talked about the fact that he says there we're the household of God. That means that we're a, a family. And then he says the church of the living God. And then he defines what the church is, or at least what the church does. And functionally, he says there the church, the church of the living God, is the pillar and buttress of what? The truth. The truth. So I said to you, these columns here, these columns help hold up this building, physically speaking, quite literally. And the floor, this concrete floor underneath the carpet with all of its reinforcement bar underneath that and with all of the pillars that are underneath the ground, that's the buttress of this building. That's that which keeps the foundation strong. Save an earthquake, right? And that particular truth of 1 Timothy 3.15 is telling us, as is all of the pastoral epistles, that there is a certain deposit. Uh, there's, There's a certain repository that holds the very truth of God. And you know what that repository is? The church. The church. That's why we've got to hold, and here's the key word, we've got to hold to a good theology. So in addition to our doxology, in addition to praising God, glorifying God, magnifying God because of who he is, the great and glorious God who gives us the unsearchable riches of Christ to preach, we also must guard and have a good theology. And that's why God has allowed the church to be the repository, the deposit of divine truth. That's why we've got to hold on to it. That's why we've got to defend it. That's why we have to preach it. That's why we have to teach it. Some people have even questioned, well, if we're, if we're doing that on a Sunday morning, why do we have to have a Sunday night service? Why do we have to have a, a Wednesday night praise and prayer meeting? Well, like I said, if we were the persecuted church, we wouldn't even be asking those questions. It wouldn't even be a question in our minds about when the church met, how often the church met, because it would be their lifeline. It would be their, their very existence. It would be their joy, even in the midst of being challenged and persecuted, because they would understand 
what the West often doesn't understand, and that is that the church is the very deposit of sound doctrine. It's the very pillar and buttress of the truth. That's that's what the church is, my friends. That's why the church matters. You want want to ask me about the church? And I know church seems passe to people. Oh, I could go or not go. Or I'm an individual uh, professing Christian and I'm going to stay home and listen to that radio preacher. He's pretty good. He's better than you are. I can can be on the, uh, the, the, the television and I can see this great preacher or I've got this MP3 or I've got this these earbuds and I'm on my walk and I can hear this preacher and that's all I need and I can worship creation and I can go out and see the stars and I can have my own church worship service. And you know what I say to that? Not so. That's not the church. That's just an individual. Is any of that wrong? No, not in and of itself. But that can't be the replacement for the local church. That's self-styled Christianity. That's a lone ranger approach to truth. How are you going to defend that? How are you going to band together with others if persecution did come? How are you going to be able to know sound doctrine? Are you going to be able to be the sum and substance of your own definition of where truth resides and what truth is and how to teach the truth? Do you know all of that truth? Are you capable of coming to that truth and defending that truth on your own? Do you have a solid list of hermeneutical principles by which you ascertain such truth? I mean, that's a pretty high and mighty claim that someone could say, I'm just going to do Christianity on my own. You say, well, there's probably not many of those people. They're, they're all over the place. They're, they're, they're walking around in droves. And they think that by doing it their way and not God's way and not the church's way is that they have all that they need. And yet, Paul is telling Timothy, you've got to guard the truth. It's the pillar and buttress of the truth. And he was telling Timothy, who was a pastor, and he was a pastor of a local church, and it was the church of Ephesus, and he was telling them as a church, not just as individuals, that the church, the church of the living God, that is where sound theology is found. It has to be defended. It has to be known. It has to be taught. That's why we have men's ministry. That's why we have women's ministry. That's why we have youth ministry. That's why we have children's ministry. That's why we have adult ministry. That's why we do what we do. That's why we have small group ministry. Because we're all about, in group settings, coming to know the truth and being able to see it as the pillar and buttress of that which the church defends as the truth. That's our theology. Even in the pastoral epistles, the concept of sound theology, that's actually a medical term. Sound theology, that's the adjective, which means healthy doctrine. Healthy doctrine. Sound doctrine. It's hygienic words. That's our theology. That's what the church is. That's why the church matters. We're the very pillar and buttress of the truth. Number three. Number three. The church is a place for loving fellowship and mutual edification. I mean, if there's a doxology, the glorifying of God, if there's a theology, the idea that that the truth resides in the church, the church is the the pillar and buttress of uh, of the truth, then thirdly, the church exists for the opportunity to mutually encourage our fellowship and our edification. 
Say, what's the key word there? The key word there is mutuality. Mutuality. Doxology, theology, and mutuality. You say, is there a key verse? Yes, there is a key verse for that. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. I read it earlier. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. And that which I didn't read, verses 17 and 18. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you notice that little phrase inside uh, verse 18? You may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. With all the saints. All of the opportunity that you and I have to be strengthened in our inner being, to have Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith, that means deep down, a deepening relationship with Christ ever and always, each and every day, being rooted and grounded in love with the strength to comprehend the love of Christ, the the power and the love of Christ to comprehend with all the saints. And comprehend is a thinking word. We are mutually growing as a result of the good deposit that we've been given, the good deposit of the riches of the truth of the Word of God so that we can glorify God. All of these are like links in a chain. You glorify God. How do you glorify God best? By knowing about Him. How do you know Him best? By understanding the truth of healthy, sound words. And how do you grow together in that? When the saints are gathered together and they're comprehending those sound words, then they mutually encourage and build up one another. It's like links in a chain. You you, you can't have one without the other. You can't go off on your own and study your Bible. You're going to be like the Dead Sea. There's, There's so many minerals and riches within the Dead Sea, but there's no outlet. It can be rich. It can be fascinating and fantastic for you to grow in your own individual understanding. But if you don't mutually encourage one another, if you don't build up one another, then you're pretty selfish. Pretty selfish. You're just grabbing it for yourself. And what are you doing with it? How are you responding to the truth that you're gaining? That's why I want to encourage you to be at our church services on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Why? Because we're going through probably what's going to be a a multi-year, probably a year, year and a half, maybe even up to two years study on the one another's of the New Testament. Because, as I've said, without duplicates, there are over 45 one another's of the New Testament. It's going to take us a long time to unpack all of them. As I said, we've talked about encourage one another, admonish one another, serve one another, and guess what? Not tonight, because we don't have a service here on New Year's Day, but next Lord's Day evening, we're going to do a message on build up one another. Edify one another. This very point. Mutual edification. The mutuality that we have together is the opportunity to to comprehend with all the saints how to build one another up. You want to see the building analogy? Look back at chapter 2 of Ephesians. Chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says, 
that this Jew-Gentile coming together, no more hostility but peace, it is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and you can see the building analogy coming, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, that's that buttress of the truth that we're talking about, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the most important stone, verse 21, in whom the whole structure, now we're talking about the raising of such a building, the, the, the construction of such an edifice being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Notice it's joined together. We're all together in this. We are to grow into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, in Christ, you also are being built together. That's more corporate terminology. We are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What a phrase to end on. Did you know that as the church, we are growing together as an edifice for the edification of the body? That's where the very word edification comes from, building up. And edifice, by which that edifice is built up, that's spiritually speaking, the edification of the body. We are being built together. And this marvelous language, we're being built together so that God may dwell in us. God may dwell with us. We are a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings us to Christ and then He places us in the body of Christ together in this local expression so that we could be built up together by mutual edification. The edifice of the church is built by the edification of the saints. Number four. Number four, the church is an equipping center. The church is an equipping center. We have, we have doxology, we have theology, we have mutuality, and now we have practicality. We have practicality. Here's the practical nature of why the church exists and matters. So that you and I can be equipped. That we can be trained a training center. That's why it's not too off to say that when a church builds its physical surroundings and they add classrooms and other buildings and maybe they're going to add classrooms to, to have a Christian school or maybe they're going to have a, a college or maybe they're going to have a seminary or maybe they're going to have some kind of training ministry by which people are taught and equipped and trained and that's why sometimes you'll hear churches being called campuses. It's a campus for training. People are being taught. People can grow through the application of the biblical teaching, through the content of the Word of God, and then utilizing that content so that you and I can implement the spiritual opportunities around us. That's the practicality of the church. This is an equipping center. By the way, this is why... In my terminology, I don't call this particular room a sanctuary. That's Old Testament terminology. I don't call this the auditorium. I call this the worship center for our corporate worship so that we can be equipped. This is one way for that equipping to take place. And that equipping is for us to be more able worshipers so that we can do the work of implementing very practically what the Word of God says regarding ministry both inside and outside these walls. This is the practicality 
of equipping saints for the work of service. Do you want to see it in Ephesians chapter 4? Here's a key passage in this regard. Verse 11. And he gave, that is Christ, he gives gifts to the church. He's the head of the body. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, those are the ones who set the foundation laying of the church, Christ being the chief cornerstone. And he gave evangelists and pastors and teachers. This is the history of the church, looking at the sweep of salvation history. It first started with apostles and prophets and evangelists. And now it resides in pastors and teachers or pastor teachers. And the purpose is, according to verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's the practicality of what we're doing. You want to know kind of the, the mortar in the brick and mortar? Here it is. For the edification, for building up the body of Christ. This is our equipping. This is the cement in between the bricks. This is how it is cemented together. This is how the building is, is, is built up. This is like what Peter says in 1 Peter. This, this church, this body, this group, this local establishment of the ministry of God is like a spiritual house. And we're being built up gloriously so. And how does that occur? Through the equipping of the saints for the building up of the body of Christ. Until when, Paul? Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. What's the unity of the faith? The faith is the body of sound doctrine. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. See that word knowledge? To mature manhood. We're, we're both a building and we're analogous to a man who's growing up. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And when you have that sound doctrine, and when you've been equipped well, verse 14 says, so that you may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, which means people will not want you to know the truth of Scripture. They'll do everything they can to connive and be cunning and crafty so that you won't know sound doctrine. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Paul just says, you got to grow up, grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the process of growing, building up. That's why we have classes, That's why we have church services, why we have teaching, preaching, we don't do less of that. We do more of that. Now, it's not like the Dead Sea. It's not like all these rich minerals are going in and we just get fat and sassy. It's not as though we're just saying, hey, I got the truth now. I know what it is. I have the knowledge, the mature knowledge of the Son of God. I'm attaining to the unity of the faith and I'm going to keep it to myself. No, the whole purpose of this is so that you may go out the practicality of your equipping should lead you to number five. And that is that the church exists to be a light in a dark world. That's it. That's the key concept. To be a light in a dark world. It's not for you to grab all the truth and get a fat head. It's, it's not for the church to have a bunch of people who've got really, really fat heads and itty bitty bodies. 
It's for the sake of you to have an even balance of having a mature head and a growing body so that you can use your legs, so that you can use your speech, so that you can use your arms to reach out to those who don't know Jesus Christ. You'd say, what's the key word to that? Missiology. Missiology. This is our mission. It's doxology, the glory of God. It's theology, truth. It's mutuality, that's edification. It's practicality, that's equipping. And it's missiology, that's evangelization. And that's it, my friends. Those are the first five for for this morning. You say, oh, but but I need a verse. I need a verse for number five. You give me a verse for every one of them. I'll give it to you. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. And this is what it says. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without reproach or without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation or twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. See, you're lights in the world. It's not just lights here in the church. It's lights in the world. It's Matthew 5. It's the city set on a hill glowing for the world to see. This is... This is Bethany Church on the hill. You know, there'd be a lot of people who would like to have this property. And you know what most of them would do to this property? They'd tear down this church and they'd put up a home, right? Because they're on top of the hill. There's a reason why we're on this hill. We need to be glowing for the world to see. We need to to stop grumbling and disputing and questioning We need to be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted or perverse generation among whom we are shining as lights in the world. Evangelization. This is our missiology. And we're not even even close to being done. We've got four more Sundays to talk about this stuff. Let's celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Bow with me in prayer. Father, We need all these key elements. We need doxology and theology and mutuality and practicality and missiology. Yes, we do. And we need so much more. We need the the truth to so cement itself in our minds that we are that spiritual house. We are growing together. And this edifice that's growing is is becoming so large that that it must be contended with. The world cannot but see what we're doing and hear what we're teaching because we're appearing as lights in the world. That's our desire, to be a light shining in a dark place. This is our missiology. Father, we have so much more to talk about with regard to what is the church and why does the church even matter. But you've given us a good start and we want to take these five key concepts and these five key words and these five key passages and we want to we want to share with each other we want to grow together as a spiritual house and lord we want to ask that you would bless this church bless this local assembly bring us as we now enter 2017 into a a new phase a new vision a new implementation of the ministry of this church. We pray for other churches like this. We pray that other churches in the Conejo Valley and other ministries, other ministries in the surrounding area of Southern California and across this this country and across the world would, 
would continue to do that which you're purposing for it to do. To have the right worship and the right truth and the right building up and the right equipping and the right mission so that you are truly glorified. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.